Ladies and gentlemen, basketball fans across the world, welcome to another episode of the Basketball Podcast, the number one basketball history podcast on the Basketball Podcast Network. And we're number one because we are the only one. Jeremy Brenner here, and we are continuing Mavs Week. MFFL, stand up. I got that right this time because this is part two. If you haven't listened to part one with my discussion uh, with Grant and Lauren Gunn, co-hosts of The Gun, The Gun Show, right? The Gun Show. The Gun Shot. The Gun Shot. The Gun Shot. Yeah, excuse me. There we go. It's close. The Gun Shot, yeah. No, I definitely that did not sound right because it wasn't. But the gunshot, <laughs> yes, the gunshot podcast hosted by Lauren and Grant Gunn. We talked about the years leading up to 2011, but now it's time for the main event. We're talking 2011 Mavs, their historic and Im, uh, un, improbable. Is that a good word to say? Un, it is. Yeah. Unexpected, improbable, fantastic championship run. And what I love about this is that, for the most part, I've been the, the guests on my show have been around my age, you know, early twenties. You know, got people that were kids back when they were reminiscing on this. So it's like you're reminiscing about your childhood, the nostalgia feel. So we're gonna take a walk down memory lane, y'all. Go back ten years from now and think about where you were when the Mavs won the championship. What was your initial reaction when they win the championship Lauren, go first well we were actually i mean i have to tell the story now that you asked it phrased it that way we were actually in florida when the mavs beat the heat in the finals and we were we were i think school had like just gotten out and so we were taking a beach vacation and we were at i mean i just remember like the the game where they won and it, and it was all over we went to a restaurant wearing uh the time is now shirts like the playoff shirts that they had they, that they had, had been giving out yeah. all throughout the playoffs and so we're like wearing these like royal bright vibrant blue shirts and it's just like a sea of red in the restaurant and we're just watching this game unfold just in shock when we sealed the deal and yeah i i grant i mean i'll, I'll let you say how, how you felt because i don't know if i can even describe how i felt it was the most I think shock. It was it was really just did we really just beat the big three Miami Heat? It was crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how long that took to sink in. It's funny you mentioned the sea of red. What was cool about our vacation, uh, I think that time of year was when a lot of people from Texas made their way down to Florida. So we had mm-hmm. like a small group of people that we met from the Dallas area. Mm-hmm. And so we went to a restaurant. It, it was basically like a Buffalo Wild Wings in Florida. And we were sitting there. There's probably a table of 10 of us Mavs fans and everybody else in there is generally rooting for the heat. But we are going nuts, especially I I remember that last game, obviously, more than the others. But it was just and nothing could could stop Mm -hmm. our excitement. Oh, it was it was so cool um, to witness that. Uh, That was the first and only team that I've ever witnessed in a championship. The Texas Rangers got close in the World Series a couple of times, but I'm definitely a bigger basketball fan than than anything else so so it was unlike anything else yeah so let's rewind let's rewind a little bit back from that that championship winning moment in florida uh, to this team that had struggled year after year in the playoffs we talked about it on the last podcast grant you said how these losses almost kind of got blurred together you lose in the finals in 06 07 uh as the number one seed they lose in the first round 08 you lose in the first round 09 
second round exit, 2010, first round exit. When are things going to start to click? Now, before the show, I actually watched, it's a recent video. I don't know if y'all know who Master Tez is, right? But Master Tez, he, like, I think he works with Bleach Report or something, but he has this thing called Untold Stories, where he kind of takes a guy and they, they, you know, just, just co- a casual conversation. So he's with, he's with Jason, Jason Terry, uh, the jet, as y'all know him, uh, he was in the pool hall with with Jet, and he was telling the story about how at the beginning of the season, um, he like got the group together and he got a tattoo of the Larry O'Brien Trophy on his bicep, and how he showed the team like on their like in the preseason, like he's like, yeah, this is this is it, this is the year, guys. And the whole team like clowned on him. Like Dirk was the number one guy. He's like, get out of here, Jet. Like, nah, you're not serious. But Jet was being serious the whole time. So this Dallas team, they don't have championship expectations, at least from uh, an outsider's perspective. They are seen as the team that kind of gets there. They're labeled as soft, even though they have guys now that aren't considered soft, like Deshaun Stevenson, Sean Marion. But they they still have this identity of they just they can't get past uh, a certain the first round, or they they can't get to the conference finals. They're, they they struggle in the playoffs. So. During the season, the regular season, they have a pretty solid year. Tyson Chandler is their starting center. We talked about how important he was to this team in in the previous episode. But when does this team start to feel different to you guys? When is this a, this ain't no ordinary Mavs team. This is a different team. When does that feeling start to kind of come through? Or does it? Or you get to the playoffs and you're like, okay, playoffs again. Here we go. When are we (laughs) going to get eliminated again? Grant, I'll let you go first on this one. Yeah, so you talk about the Jason Terry tattoo, and between him and Tyson Chandler, like looking back, it is it's clear at that point things have changed. Um, but as a fan, like like honestly, I didn't I didn't think we would do it until the Lakers series. Like it, it honestly was that mm-hmm. because we've been a fifty win team for ten years now, so yeah. another fifty seven win season is. Right on par for the Dallas. It doesn't Mavericks. mean anything exactly different. Yeah. Right. So, so uh, we'll we'll kind of talk about the Blazers series before we get into the Lakers. But beating the Blazers was a great step. But we're going up against the defending championship Lakers, and it's like, oh well, this is probably our our time to bow out of here. And when we swept them, it was like, holy crap, do we have something here? Yeah. 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 Def- I I have to second that because this team. Again, you're you you know when you've got a good team, but sometimes you don't quite know how good you are. And looking at some of the teams around the league, again, Dallas is kind of driving home the same point, not as top heavy uh, as some of these other teams. And so you don't necessarily know how you're going to match up with these teams, not just on one night, but then when you're going into a playoff series and you have to beat them four times. And so until you kind of are truly tested with a, a tough opponent, and not that Portland wasn't a tough opponent because they were, but when you go into that Lakers series and you sweep Kobe's Lakers, I mean that I actually, so I was at game three of that series and I remember walking out and we're walking to the parking lot and I look up and there's this like, there's this like screen, like a billboard, like electronic billboard. And it said 
Mavs up 3-0. And there was like a broom, like a broom, like GIF back in the day before GIFs were even Mm -hmm. a thing. And I was like, that was a moment where I was like, oh my God, are we, imagine if we sweep the Lakers, what does that mean? This is real. What does that mean? And I, I was in shock walking out. So yeah, I think that was probably the moment where I, I realized that things could be different. Mm -hmm. Cause this Lakers team, Kobe's Lakers back to back defending champions. And at this point in the year too. So the Spurs were the number one seed and the Lakers were the number two seed. And then you had Dallas number three. And I want to say Dallas and the Lakers had a similar record. I think that they had the exact same record. I think it's 57 and 25, yep. but the, the Lakers were favored in that series. Yeah. And the first round, the Spurs lose to the Grizzlies. So at this point, the the Mavericks and the Lakers are playing to determine who's going to host the Western Conference Finals. So at this point, you're looking at this series and you're like, okay, the winner of this series has a legit shot. And then whoever – and I think that year also it felt like whoever was coming out of the West was just going to lose to the Heat. So – but you still want if you're if you're a team in the West, you're taking a finals trip. I don't care who you are. You'll be like, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> a four out of seven against against the Heat. I'll take my chances. Mm-hmm. And so they get to the the Lakers series, right? And they win game. They win game one, and I'm like, okay, like that that's a game one. I'm like okay, but then they win game two, and that I think it, for me is when tides began to change. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe there. This isn't just an ordinary Dallas team. Maybe this team is is worth, you know. So, and they play really well in LA. Like this is, I think, you know, you saw shades of it against Portland with Dirk, but when he was playing in the Lakers series and he was putting up those numbers on Pau Gasol and the and that Lakers team. I was like, okay, like Dirk may have figured it out finally. (laughs) So he had 28 and 14 in game one, 24 in game two, comes back home, Lauren Gunn in attendance, 32 and nine. They win that game by 36. Is that, is that right? 36. So they blew them out. Or no, that was, that was game four. That was game four. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they. So they. No game blow four. Out yeah, the that Lakers was the. That was the blowout. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. you're like, not only did we just sweep the Lakers, but we sent their ass home, all the way back to LA. Uh, out th- like that's a sad way to go out. There is no sadder way to go out than getting swept and losing the last game by a boatload of points. Andrew Bynum gave an elbow to J.J. Barea's chest and a four-game suspension to start the next season. He was so unhappy about it. Yeah, Yeah, that was nuts. (laughs) Yeah. Insult to injury right there. For sure, yeah. I remember that that watching game four, we went 20 of 32 from from the three-point line that game, and I believe uh, Peja Stojakovic and and Jet went a combined 15 – uh, of 16 from the three-point line. And I remember watching that game and seeing American Airlines Center and like feeling like the fans were just going to explode onto the court because there was so yeah. much 
energy in that arena. And that was when I think the city started to be like, okay, we've got something going here. Like we, to be doing this to the Lakers is insane. And so um, I will never forget watching, watching game four on TV and just feeling like this, this is madness. And so to be able to carry that momentum and have such a a dominant win over a a good team going into the next round to sweep the Lakers and then go into the next round, Mm -hmm. that was huge. That was huge going up or kind of leading into that OKC series. Yeah. And then you get OKC, who took care of the Grizzlies in the second round. They're they're in the conference finals, and at this point, this is Oklahoma City's furthest that they've gone. They had they had not. I don't think they had won a playoff series prior to this year. So they have KD, who's like 20, 21. Russ, who's also twenty twenty one, and James Harden twenty twenty one. And it's just, but at this point is when experience really came into play and because if you look at the talent not saying that the Mavs weren't talented because they clearly were but that Oklahoma City team is one of the most talented teams ever put together on paper it's just the timing was off like if that team had stayed together for just two more years maybe one more year is all they needed they that's an easy chip for them maybe two maybe three maybe they're still together but clearly that wasn't meant to be because Dallas and you're starting to see after they win and they sweep the Lakers and they have home court advantage for the Western conference finals. Is this starting to feel like team of destiny vibes? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Yes. Because again, going up, even going back to the Portland series, like, Brandon Roy, LaMarcus Aldridge, Nick Batum, like that was a solid team. And then you go up against the, uh, the Lakers and then and then you're going up against OKC. And and for Dallas, to me, it was always, it felt like it was the depth and the team. There, I want to say, uh, well, I guess we'll leave that for the finals, but kind of going into, just to give you like this quote, it's, it's the same concept. Brandon Haywood in the final, going into the finals said, every night you suit up, the Heat have three of the top four of the top the players, players in the, court, on the yeah. so that was kind of the name of the game for Dallas is that if you ask the average NBA fan who the seventh sixth sixth seventh guy on Dallas is they're gonna be like I don't know who's Brian Cardinal I've never heard of him so they're it's and that was <laughs> Brian Cardinal like people don't in that and that was the thing and it was just it was depth and it was chemistry and it was experience and so yeah uh there was definitely a, a huge, a huge thing. Not not just the experience, but the way the team dynamic and the way they all fit together. When does Brian Cardinal's jersey go up to the rafters of, of American Airlines Center? Still waiting on it. Still waiting. <laughs> so maybe that's that's the uh, social media campaign we need to uh, work on after this podcast. Hashtag uh, Brian Cardinal jersey retirement. There you go. We need something, we need something yeah. better. Uh, that's a little wordy, but. Uh, <laughs> Retire Cardinals number. What was what number was he? Oh, he I want to say it was thirty five. Yeah, I almost 35. said thirty five. Hashtag yeah. retire thirty five. Dallas, like Dallas retire thirty five. Or which is at Mark Cuban. Just be yeah. like, yo, thirty five. Don't let anyone wear that. Has anyone <laughs> worn thirty five since Brian Cardinal? Oh, that's I mean, a good probably, question. But, that's a good question. But, now my brain is like, <laughs> we've anyway, had so many guys come through. It's true. Yeah. So anyway, okay, I've pulled it up here. So Dallas Mavericks uniform numbers. 35 is when we were in five players. 
Chris Kamen wore it in 2013. Oh, I, thought, I, I was going to say Chris Kamen, but I'm like, no way. I'm just remembering another bald white guy wearing <laughs> 35. Like, surely that's that's what I'm remembering, not Chris yeah. Kamen. Okay, I mean, so we'll see. Retire 35, Mark. That's all we're saying. But you get to the finals against Miami. You know, very, you know, very similar vibes. You're looking at five years ago, a rematch. The teams are very different. Obviously, mm-hmm. LeBron wasn't there the last time these two teams played. Uh, but Dirk's still there. Dwayne Wade is still there, although his role is maybe a little bit different. But Chris Bosch is there. And that whole Mavericks team is different, except for Dirk. Because they took the five years and they restructured that team. You got the younger guys, but now you've got older guys. Softer guys are out, but you have those you know, mentally tough guys, the Deshaun Stevensons, the, the Jason kids, the Sean Marions. We, we, we talked a little bit about Deshaun Stevenson, um, but I don't think he gets enough credit for how much he was for Dallas. So I want to give him some time here and, and some airtime. What about Deshaun Stevenson made him so valuable for that Mavs team? Oh my gosh, I could I could probably go on all day about this. Deshaun Stevenson, he had he just had energy and he had the dog mentality. There was mm-hmm. nobody's gonna run over us. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the best player in the league. If everyone knows who you are, you're not gonna run over us. And so to be able to have a guy like that on your team, also with with Sean Marion, uh, that was huge. And and I I firmly believe not just Deshaun Stevenson, but every guy on our roster from, from top to bottom, Dallas doesn't win that championship if that guy's not there. Because this team, again, going back to the whole dynamic and having this balance of super talented offensive players and these guys who have the dog mentality and are willing to do the the the, the hard work down low, the banging, put in, diving on the floor. And so Deshaun Stevenson was that guy. And you could always count on him to go to take a charge, to knock down the the tough threes, the the corner threes, the open threes. And so Deshaun Stevenson was a huge, huge player in that finals and that final series and 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 on that team. Mm-hmm. Grant, what are what are your thoughts on Deshaun Stevenson? Yeah, I think my favorite story of Deshaun Stevenson, I can't remember, I think it was during the Lakers series where and I can't remember who told the story, but they get in a huddle. Uh and and Carlisle looks at them and says, all right, no more talking crap. Like, shut it down. We need to tighten up and play our game. We're not going to piss off Kobe and let him run us into the ground. And Deshaun Stevenson looks at Rick Carlisle and says, do you know who I am? Or at least some, something to that effect. And and Carlisle goes, all right, everybody but you. And and that was just who he was. Like, like Lauren said it. He wasn't going to let anybody run us over. He was just a perfect guy. I remember... I remember that he would take a personal, like, him and LeBron did not get along. Oh, no. Like, he got under LeBron's skin. And at this point in LeBron's career, he is, he's, he's like, his ego, I think, has kind of taken control of his game a little bit. He hasn't learned how to kind of fine-tune it. If you know what I mean. So, because he had, this is his first year in Miami. He's like, I'm living the high life. I'm playing with my best friends. Um, You know, I'm the best team in the league and everyone says so, but he hasn't won the ring yet. And so 
this series, honestly, and and Heat fans will talk about it. You know, I'm sure the Heat will talk about it, and I'm sure they'll say it. This series humbled them, and it was a big reason why they ended up coming out on top in 12 and 13 is because they needed this, I guess, lesson, if you will, from, you know, the Dallas Mavericks <laughs> about, you know, where their mindset should be. And this, but still, if you look at this series, like Dallas is, if you look on paper, Dallas is severely outmatched here. They have three of the best four players on the court. But the one thing that Heat team lacked, which I think is super important, is size. That team was like the first team to kind of really introduce the stretch five, or one of the first teams to introduce like a stretch five. They had Chris Bosch kind of playing that stretch five a lot. But the the Mavericks were able to win the rebounding battle. And I think that's a huge reason why they win the series is because they had Dirk and he had Tyson Chandler done up. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. is that fair to say? I think so for sure. I mean, to ask Joel Anthony and uh, Udonis Haslam, who I have so much respect for Udonis Haslam, to out-rebound someone like Tyson Chandler, that's a tough task. That's a tall order. Mm-hmm. So um, I want to, for a sec, go back to something that you said about LeBron and how his ego took the best of him or might have gotten the best of him a little bit at that stage in his career. Mm-hmm. I think that's so interesting because as I went back and was watching uh, game two of that series – and Miami is just, they're dominating Dallas and they're up, they're kind of kicking our butts and they're, they're getting flashy. They're throwing lobs, they're dunking the, the crowds into it. The crowds like chanting and everyone's like, the game is over. Like the game is over. And Dallas, this is kind of where that, that veteran experience comes into play. And you've got these other guys who are, like you said, living the high life. They're, they're on this this top team that has such high expectations, and and maybe you lose focus a little bit because you think it's it's kind of a cakewalk. Like Dallas, like mm-hmm. you said on paper, they should have ran, they should have run right over us. But that's not exactly how Game Two went. Grant, I know you remember Game Two very well. Would you like to uh, explain what happens next for, yeah. for the Miami Heat? So so I actually want to back up. I want to do a little rewind because we talked about the OKC the OKC series, and I think experience being a huge reason we won that game playing okc i think played a huge role in how successful we were against the heat because we're playing against a kd who can get a shot whenever he wants similar to lebron we're playing against an athletic russell westbrook who can drive to the hole and beat you in transition just like Dwayne wade and so you've got these three-headed monsters um that we have to deal with an OKC that that kind of lays the groundwork for how we might tackle Miami. And so I think that was a perfect test to set us up. But we get to game two, the Mavs are already down 1-0 in the series, and Dwayne Wade hits a three right in the corner, right in front of the Mavs bench. That puts him up, I want to say it was 13 with maybe four or five minutes to game in the game. Um, and, and, and like Lauren said, all signs were done. Um, Carlisle calls a timeout. But Dwayne Wade is just hanging with his follow through right in front of the bench a little too long. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Jason Terry who gave him mm-hmm. a shove um, and starts talking crap. Dirk's not taking it well. And they get in the huddle and the switch flips. And if you go back and find the, the that huddle, Jason Terry's barking people out. Dirk's barking people out. But the rest of the game, it's over. Like Before they can even realize it, Dirk is hitting shots. He's going to the line. 
Um, they're shutting the guys down. And, and before you know it, it's over. And Miami's sitting there like, what the heck just happened? It was probably the quickest four minutes they've ever seen because uh, it just came from nowhere. Like you said, it, it didn't match up on paper. And it looked like we had no business being there. We were about to go down 2-0. And it was over. But, but the series. Absolutely. The switch mm-hmm. flipped. And, and all of a sudden, we were in it. Yeah. Yeah. That moment where kind of Dallas goes on a 20 to two run to put us up. Dirk hits a three to put us up three with like 15 ish seconds left. And when that three goes in, it was like, Oh my God, not only, I mean, we were tied, but Dirk just hit a three to put us up three. Mm -hmm. Like that could have been it. Like we, we might've just won this game, like unreal. And the entire arena is just stunned in Miami. And then Mario Chalmers of all people. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. Comes down and hits this corner three and, that I mean, that hurts. And then you come down, and it's like, all right, we've got Dirk. There's just there's enough time left on the clock. There's enough time left to make something happen. And Dirk hits Chris Bosh with this hesitation, kind of fake, and just goes right around him with this left hand finger roll. That I swear it was, it really was like poetry in motion. So it was slow, but it was so mm-hmm. just. Did this just happen? Did he really just slice through Miami's defense like this and end the game? It was unreal, unreal. Yeah. So 80, the score was 88-73 with 7.14 to go. Final score, 95-93. So to end the game, they went on a 22-3 to, to run. Or 22, yeah, 22-5 run to end the game. Yeah, crazy. It's yeah. remarkable. And to do that on the road, in the finals – the save your season. That saved their season. Absolutely. It was crazy. Absolutely. Lauren, you talk about the Mario Chalmers three. Wow. I, I can so vividly remember uh, Spolstra drew up the play and Jet fell asleep, lost him on a back screen. And Le- I think it was LeBron who threw it in just right over the top. Again, I, I believe it was right in front of the Mavs bench. Hits the three. And then, of course, Chris Bosh, Garden, Le- Garden Dirk. He knows the fade's coming. Dirk gives the slightest little fade, fake like he's going to fade Bosch goes up and that's all Dirk needed to get to the rim so uh Crazy. one of the and best moments in, in math history yeah never forget it in game three the the game's close again Bosch hits a hits a jumper to go up two and Dirk has the ball in his hands one last time and he's not as lucky in uh game three as he is in game two they lose and they go down to one so at this point, you know you have to go back to Miami, at least at some point in this series, considering it's a 2-3-2 uh, split. And then you get to game four. Game four is also close. Honestly, if we look at it, I, I want to say that this series from top to bottom is one of the best final series that I think I, that we've seen in recent memory. I mean, I know we have you know strong seven-game series like you know, there's the 2010 finals that comes to mind, the 2016 finals that comes to mind. But this series, just every game felt like it was coming down to the wire. And every game felt like there was there was drama attached to it. And I can't imagine, yeah. like, having a dog in the fight. Yeah. Like, I didn't have a dog yeah. in the fight, and I was stressed. <laughs> but y'all, I'm sure, y'all's stress levels were through the yeah. roof. Yeah, this is... This is yeah, I, mean, I remember watching... No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that. I, mean, I just, this... I remember. <laughs> We're getting the lag. Are y'all like this on yours, Joe? 
Yeah, no, uh, yeah, a little bit. No, it's it's the lag. My internet's bad. My internet is really bad. Go ahead, Grant. No, I was just gonna say it's the it's the type of of team where I think I think at this point we knew what we were gonna get from Dirk every night. It didn't matter what they were gonna throw at us, um, and and so we saw got JJ Barea was stepping up, uh, Jet Terry was stepping up and was huge every single night. Um, it, it it went to the depth of the team. Um, the, the Heat were so top-heavy that we had to beat them with our second unit. We had to beat them uh, when when guys like LeBron and Wade were on the bench, and, and luckily we were just suited to do it. Mm-hmm. And then game four comes. Tyson Chandler has a big game, 16 rebounds. Um, in this game, they, 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 win, they win at the end once again, and they're, they tie the series, and you're like, okay, it's a best of three. They win game five. Now you're like, okay, we just need one win in Miami. Is there anything specifically from these two games that y'all want to, like, that, that you think is important to the story before we go back to Miami for game six? Um, maybe not necessarily super important to the story, but I was at game five. And it was That's super. Important. Yeah, the, the entire series was just you were on pins and needles the entire time. Like, is this even really happening? And I remember Mario Chalmers at the end of halftime hit like a half court he buzzer beater. And I believe he hit two within the series. And I remember when he hit that, I was like, swear to God, if I see one more momentum shifting moment by Mario Chalmers, I'm going to lose my mind. Um, but... But yeah, luckily uh, that game. I'm yeah, like you said, we won that game. But uh, good God, yeah. I'll ne- oh no, I don't think we did win that game. That was game five, right? Yeah, game five. No, we didn't. Oh yeah, no, we, we did. won. I'm sorry. We won game five, five. Six. Yeah, 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 we did win game five. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, crazy. That was crazy. So Lauren, on the way home from from game five, what are you thinking? Mm-hmm. Like, what what is I your what is your thought process? My thought process in that series and always when I'm watching the Mavs is it has to be one game at a time. You can never, ever, ever say, oh, we've got two to go or we've got, oh, we're, we're focusing on this game or just wait till game seven. Save your energy for game seven. You've got to take it one game at a time, play 48 minutes and control what you can control. That's, that's what I always say and just go in and, and, and get it done on a night to night basis because if you lose focus, especially, and that was the thing against Portland, they learned that in the Portland series. If you lose focus, it could get taken out from under you so quick. And so for me, I was like, okay, we've got some momentum right now. We just need one more. But this is a Miami team, and we're going back to Miami. So we've got a long way to go. Yeah. One thing that did change during the series that I thought was somewhat interesting was after game three, Carlisle changes the starting lineup. And Deshaun Stevens, who had been in the starting lineup, you know, for the whole playoff run, is taken out of the starting lineup in favor of JJ Barea. I guess because the the Heat were going with Mike Bibby oh, at point guard. He yep. wasn't playing too much. But what what was y'all's thoughts when when Carlisle just in the middle of the finals changes his his lineup? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first on that. I think with J.J., we have learned watching J.J. Barea that you can never underestimate this guy. And mm-hmm. in the Lakers series and then even in the Miami series, I mean, he's the ultimate giant slayer. So 
he's very patient. And when you're playing with someone like Dirk, he just, they, they fit or they, they work really well off of each other with these, yeah. this high screen, this pick and pop or pick and roll, whatever Dirk decides to do. So inserting JJ Barea, it was almost, it wasn't like a, Oh God, is, is this really the time to switch things up for me? I think it was more of a, we're seeing what he's doing and he's, he's playing well against this Miami team. Like he's giving them something that they don't exactly know how to handle. So I remember, like, I was okay with the move, and I think everybody was on the J.J. Barea train at that point. Grant, where did you stand on it? Yeah, I look back. I think Carlisle knew we needed somebody to stop LeBron, so he knew that six foot, maybe six foot's pushing it. Six foot J.J. Barea was going to do the job. So, I mean, it really just boiled <laughs> down to that. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, all jokes aside, um, and it just, it was it was anything Carlisle could throw, throw at him. We were playing with house money, had nothing to lose. Um, maybe Dirk's legacy was on the line, but <laughs> nobody expected us to win. So, like, what mm-hmm. were we doing there? It was all kind of um, just just to see what we could do. But I think the the best thing that could have happened to us was was LeBron and Dwayne Wade mocking Dirk walking yes. down the tunnel before Game Four. Just one hundred percent talking about Dirk being sick, and and th- I mean, that's all Dirk needed. I mean, did he need anything? Probably not. But it was just one more thing for Dirk to put in his back pocket to 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 take us to the finish line. Mm-hmm. And to be fit, like we've talked about how this team struggled to make those adjustments. And that's why in 06, it didn't work. In 07, it didn't work. 08, it didn't work. But you're seeing here with Carlisle, he's making an adjustment right here. And it's almost like they've learned from their past as to what works versus what doesn't. And to not be afraid to pull this, to pull the plug or to pull the switch when you need to. And it turned out to be a real good decision for them because they would go on to win the three games that Berea starts instead of Deshaun Stevenson. So game six, you're in Miami. Well, the Mavs are in Miami. Y'all are in Florida. <laughs> We're back to where we started almost. Um, but what do you, from watching that game, what do you – like when does it kind of click that it's like, okay, like they're about to win this game and that's it, game over. We win the NBA championship. Oh man, that's when does that tough. Come in? Yeah, that's tough because I at the entire game it was like again you can't let off the gas. And then yeah. I I don't remember the exact minute mark, but in the fourth quarter, I want to say halfway like maybe halfway through the fourth, you're kind of looking at the score, and we were up a good bit, but it wasn't just the fact that we were up; it was the fact that Miami seemed to just have the life sucked out of them. The arena was dead silent. Dallas had all the momentum. They were sitting there like, we are so close. Not only like we've got the three wins. We're halfway through the fourth. We've got a solid enough lead. Jason Terry went off for 27 points that night, like was just unreal. And it felt like we were right there. All you had to do was not let your foot off the gas and keep going. And so um, I remember it wasn't until the whole night you were just in shock, but even throughout the fourth quarter, you got to a point where you didn't want to take your foot off the gas, but you were looking at this game saying, oh my God, I just don't see, like it's going to take something big. And granted, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be LeBron, but it's going to take something big for them to turn this around and close the gap and then pull out a win, even though they were on their home court. It just, it felt like it was as, as crazy as it is to say, it, there was a point before the game ended where it felt like it was over. And I just remember watching the game, just like, how does it end like this? How do we pull this off on their floor having such this like dominant win that just sucks the life out of them? They so with 1032 left in the fourth quarter, the Heat pull within four 
Okay. Yeah. Then JJ Barea and Jason Terry contribute to an 8 0 run that puts them down 12. And they never they never get closer to four again. Yeah. So that was that was your run there that you're probably looking at, and you're probably mm-hmm. like, "This is it! Like, yeah. we're about to win this game." And so they win the championship. Confetti <laughs> is in the air. You're you're in Florida, and so you're close. To, I guess you're you're there we're in, in the Destin area. You're there in the way in the Jacksonville area. In the, we're in the Destin area, so not oh, super Destin close to Miami, okay. but we we were in Heat territory. Yeah. Destin. So, like, I'm I'm a Texan, right? I'm from mm-hmm. Texas, but I've lived in Florida the last five years of my life. Destin is not Florida. <laughs> I mean, it is. It is. It's Florida if you're from Texas. <laughs> that, that's all that it is. Because isn't Destin like in the Central Time Zone? I think it is. It is. Yep. Yeah. So it's. It doesn't count, does it? I mean, Panhandle is not Florida. Like Panhandle might as well be Alabama. Fair. But and there's a beach there. Great, great vacation spot. Um, but I live in like the f- actual Florida port. I live in the Orlando area, so we have a beach about an hour away. We got you know Disney about an hour away. It's, it's a great <laughs> place to live. If I didn't, if I couldn't live in Houston, Houston, Texas, I would live. Like the one thing I miss from Texas is Torchy's tacos. Ooh. Like the queso, right there. I the best queso. Ever. Oh my God. This is not a sponsored podcast, by the way. But <laughs> if Torquey's Tacos wants to send me some free merch, some free queso, and a plug on the show, by all means. Mm-hmm. Like, absolutely. But, you know, Dallas wins. And, you know, Grant, you talked about how it was your first championship that you've seen so far, the only. But there's, there is something about the first championship you see. Mm-hmm. You know, when. You know, granted, as tainted as it is and whatever, when I, when the Astros won the championship for me, that is a totally different feeling than right. anything you've ever experienced as a fan. So t- walk me – like, now that you've – it's been 10 years, what what do you remember about the 2011 team and what what does it mean for the organization, that, that team? Yeah, Grant, I'll let you go ahead. Yeah, I, th- I think it just cemented Dirk's legacy. I mean, we, we talked about him being looked at as the soft European. Uh, and when he beat that Heat team, went on that run, it solidified him as one of the top 25 players. Of course, as a biased Mavs fan, I'd, I'd say top 10. But, but I think unarguably, top 25 players all time. And so it just, for, for a guy who's done so much for the city off the court, it was so great to finally see him validated on the court. Yeah, I yeah, I think having not only coming back from from that an original loss from Miami, but to then kind of go back and and get that revenge and get your title against Miami, it was just and and again, it was more about Dirk and, and Dallas than it was about Miami. But the again to to feed off of Grant's point, the run that he went on, the teams that he had to beat to get there and and overcome and get that that victory all with one team, it was just it really did like his legacy is unreal. And I do think it kind of sets the tone moving forward. Obviously Luca is a different, completely different type of player, but with, we saw with Dirk, how you can have a star player and surround, you don't need to have like in Dallas, I don't think the mentality is, Oh, you have to have like a, like a Clippers type type roster where you've got a Kawhi and a PG or you have a LeBron and an Anthony Davis. Like I think in Dallas, you've got your Luca 
and you can surround kind of like they did with Dirk, the right pieces that fit and that are good enough. They might not be star tier of like, again, those guys that I just mentioned, but if you get the right stars, it can work. And so I think with Dallas getting that win, not only solidified Dirk's legacy, but it kind of set the tone moving forward. Uh, and granted the game has changed. The game will continue to change. And, and Luca again, completely different player than Dirk, but I still think it kind of Dallas, the Dallas way, the Dallas mentality, however you want to phrase it. I still think that they kind of care. You got same coach, same GM, same owner. You kind of still have that same feel, that same mindset of, We've got our guy. If we can surround him with the right pieces and we've got enough depth, enough chemistry, enough experience and the right coach, we can, maybe we can make it happen. So um, I've yet to see like, or feel a, a big shift from the Dirk era. And so I think watching all this and kind of revisiting all these things and, and seeing how Dirk was able to take down these top tier or top heavy teams with, with uh, duos and trios, it's, it says a lot. Mm-hmm. And that team, it was so crucial that they won it that year because Deshaun Stevenson was a restrict was a free agent after the season. Tyson Chandler was out after the season. So, like, if the Mavericks were going to win, if they didn't win that year, that team was getting blown up regardless. Mm-hmm. And you started to see the effects the next season. And the Mavericks, I don't think, have they won a playoff series since then? I don't think we have no and we look so. at i mean so that that next off season was the lockout season and so the mm-hmm. cba changed the rules and i think the maps shifted their focus to landing a big star which never really happened through free agency at least and so we never got to see what that championship team could have been had they maybe brought everybody back right yeah but you know i think it, it says a lot when you because we haven't really seen a team like the Mavericks. Like, I would say maybe the closest thing to it is maybe the 2019 Raptors, where a team just, for whatever reason, defies the odds. And, like, I wouldn't even put the Mavericks and the Raptors in the same group. Like, I feel like the Mavericks, because they, that team, like, you can put so many asterisks on that Raptors championship, I feel. Like, you can say, like, oh, like, if the Warriors were healthy, they'd be fine. Or, oh, if they didn't get Kawhi, like, they got lucky they got Kawhi and they only had Kawhi for one year or whatever. But the Mavericks did it with against uh, prime LeBron, that big three Heat team. They were all healthy. Like, they were able to beat that team. Mm-hmm. And it does change Dirk's legacy, honestly. Not that, look, Dirk would have been a Hall of Famer regardless of how this turns out. But when you look at legacy, this this changes Dirk's legacy forever. And it puts him it puts him in that, I'll, I'll say it from a non-biased perspective, it puts him in the top 25. Whereas if he doesn't, he's just another, uh, just another, like, it's not that he's just another guy, but he's, he's not, he, he, he moves up about a tier or two. By sure. winning this championship. And that's the thing. Like, that's the difference between guys even today. Like, you look at guys like James Harden, who haven't won yet. Like, if he gets a championship soon, and hopefully he will as a Houston guy, but if he does, that changes his legacy. And honestly, even his legacy, because he isn't going – like, if he wins in Brooklyn, Kevin Durant's the dude. Like, 
it's he won't be the main guy, but Dirk was the guy after all of the odds that were against him, after all the times he went into the playoffs and got knocked down and went back up again, got knocked down again. He still did it on his own terms. And that 2011 finals is one of the best stretches of basketball that Dirk Nowitzki ever had in his career. And maybe part of that was the moment, but it changes history. It changes history for the Mavericks, changes history for that era. Cause if that doesn't happen, then, you know, who knows how long the Heat stay together or, you know, if the Heat win against the Thunder, that changes. That all changes. And, you know, maybe maybe the Mavericks, if they don't win that title, maybe they, you know, try to find a way to keep that team together. And maybe they would have gone on another run. Who knows? But it it's amazing to me what happens when stories like this happen, even when it's Dallas and, you know. As a Houston person, <laughs> not not the biggest Dallas fan, but I, I can at least admire and respect what they did that year, and because what they did that that year is has not been has not been duplicated, and I don't think it ever will be. So it's something that Dallas and Mavericks fans, the MFFLs out there, should hold on to forever. But yeah. I think it's a good place to, you know, Time to pause to kind of yeah. I let us. I landed us safely, guys. But. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much, Grant and Lauren. I really had a lot of fun with you guys tonight. Uh, feel free to drop your Twitter handles, anything you're working on for the listeners, and uh, floor is yours. Yeah, so you can follow me at on Twitter at LGun with four N's. Uh, I do write for the Mavs SB Nation page, Mavs Moneyball, so all my work is tied to my Twitter. I also co-host the Blue Hardwood podcast with more of a focus on the Dallas Mavericks with my co-host Brian Zillum. Uh, which is also uh, attached to my Twitter. All the links are, are through there. And uh, Grant, you want to share about the gunshot? Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned the gun show at the, the top of the show. And it, it, it Welcome almost, to the gun show. You, you know, two tickets to the gun show doesn't sound too bad either. But <laughs> we, are, we are the gunshot. You can find us at the gunshot on Twitter. You can find me at gun underscore Grant. And that's gun with two N's in both the gunshot and our last name. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you guys so much. And I'm sure we'll be uh, talking soon. Uh, there's plenty of Dallas Mavericks stories we can talk about. Uh, so thank you guys so much. Um, my my favorite people from Dallas. Oh, perfect. Amazing. <laughs> thank, thank you for having I mean, us. There wasn't, there wasn't that much of a bar, but you <laughs> passed it and surpassed it by a lot. But uh, be sure to check out Basketball on Twitter at Basketball. That's P-A-S-T-K-E-T Ball. And you can also follow the Basketball Podcast Network on Twitter and Instagram at HoopsPodNet. And you can follow my own personal Twitter if you, if you feel like it, sure, if you if you want, at my name, Jeremy Brenner, J-E-R-E-M-Y-B-R-E-N-E-R. I have a cool new project that I'm starting soon as well. Uh, it's with 2K. Uh, we're working to pretty much simulate history through the eyes of 2K and there isn't a full like title for the project yet but it's something that i'm working on so be sure to look for that as well very soon thank you so much for tuning into this episode and until next time rewind and be kind